0: The story of the prophet Elisha and the great warrior Naaman reminds us that God's grace is ever available to heal and transform us. If only we will not let pride get in the way. Richard Helmer delivered this sermon on Sunday, July 8, 2007, at Church of Our Savior Mill Valley, California. In the name of the God of grace, amen. So I'm going to do the almost unforgivable today and open my sermon with a joke, and a well-worn one at that, but it seems especially appropriate to the theological questions on the table in today's reading, particularly the one from Hebrew Scriptures, and it speaks to a simple but profound truth of what it means to lead a life of faith. So please indulge me as I dust it off. And for those of you who know it, you can recite the punchline with me. There was a notably devout Christian who lived in a modest home next to a small babbling creek. During a long drought, the creek almost dried up completely, but when the rains returned at last, they came with a vengeance, as they often do. So soon the creek was overflowing its banks and threatening the devoted Christian and his neighbors. He got down on his knees and prayed that God might save him from the rising waters when a knock came at the door. A police officer had stopped by. Her cruiser was parked outside, and she offered to drive the man to safety. But he responded, no, God will save me. In the ensuing hours, the waters continued to rise until they had entered the lower level of his house, so the devout Christian barricaded himself in his upstairs bedroom and was praying fervently when a shout came from outside. He rose from his knees to see a boat struggling against the current outside his bedroom window. Open the window, we'll throw you a line and take you to safety, the pilot shouted. No, thank you, the devout Christian replied. God will save me. The rains were relentless, and the creek had now burgeoned to become a raging river. Even as homes were swept away nearby, the devout Christian climbed onto his roof and continued to pray on his knees fervently for God to save him from the rising waters. During a break in the storm, a helicopter flew to him. As it approached, a door opened and a voice shouted, We'll let down a ladder for you. Come aboard and we'll take you to safety. No, the devout Christian refused. God will save me. But a few moments later, his home collapsed beneath him and he was swept away by the current. So in heaven, the devout Christian approached the throne of God with an angry question. God, I prayed to you for hours to save my life. Why didn't you? My child, God replied, I love you and would never abandon you. And behold, you live with me now forever. But in response to your incessant prayers, I sent you a police cruiser, then a boat, and then a helicopter. Today's reading from the second book of Kings, we take another page out of the annals of Elisha, whom some of you may recall from last week has taken up the mantle of prophecy from his mentor, Elijah. Elisha today confronts two men who suffer from their own sense of pride. The king of Israel, who not so surprisingly worries that the request for the services of his prophet might be a reason for the powerful king of Aram to pick a quarrel with him. In other words, the king worries, as many kings do, that it is all about him. And Naaman, the great warrior, who approaches Elisha's door expecting VIP treatment and instead is greeted only by a lowly messenger, which causes Naaman to turn and depart in a huff. Both are so convinced of their own unique and special place in God's universe that they nearly forget to grasp the grace that is right in front of them. The king, an opportunity to show the power of the God he and his prophet are called to serve, and Naaman, more to the point, to be cleansed of his leprosy. So I'm going to cut to the chase. A question for you. Are you a special Christian be honest. I confess that I sometimes suffer from being one. It's why I wear the special clothes and the collar and stand up in this special place on a Sunday morning. Being a special Christian is an occupational hazard for me as a priest, and I dare say a great spiritual risk for heart and soul. And most of us see ourselves as special Christians at one time or another, especially favored by God, extra gifted by the Holy Spirit. It speaks to our insatiable desire to be first. And the world, as secular as it may get, does nothing to help us. All you have to do these days is Google iPhone. A number of the headlines read, iPhone Envy turn on the TV, open a newspaper or surf the internet and there are enough messages telling us how important we are and even more important that we will be if we buy or own a certain something or live in a particular somewhere or hang out with the right someones. And of course, if truth be told, our faith tradition is certainly badly infected with that kind of pride too. Our shared history is littered with bodies, both physical and spiritual, victims of our collective sense of self righteousness, of believing ourselves special in the eyes of God. And some of our contemporary Christian communities thrive when they posit our special sinfulness, and therefore Christ's special grace for us. We are special. And we can claim that grace with a weekly visit to the Temple of Redemption. Does that sound familiar to you? Enough already, right? There are many reasons that Christ sends his disciples out to deliver the gospel two by two. One may well be that then no one of them can claim special gifts for success or special grace by virtue of the battle scars from the rejection that they are likely to encounter. And Elisha reminds us today across the bounds of religious and cultural history that God either finds us all special or none of us. That we all have a share and a claim on God's grace or none of us does. Elisha may go personally to the nameless widow in distress and lift her up from shame, that shame of invisibility. But he will keep his personal presence from the great warrior, Naaman, to remind him of the folly of self-pride. While we are each gifted in different ways, some with longer life, others with shorter some with gifts for gab, others for contemplation, some with gifts for music, others with gifts for handicraft, some with large homes, others with small places to live, some with powerful positions in the community, others with quiet and assuming ones. We are, in a profound and very deep way, treated ultimately by God with equanimity. And that equanimity is about the infinite love God shows us in Christ and through the spirit of grace. Another way of seeing this is to remember that we enter this life with nothing and we depart with nothing. All save the gift of life itself and God standing at our beginnings and our ends. This is a radical teaching of our faith. Make no mistake, if you push it to its conclusion, you discover a strange outcome for us as Christian pilgrims. The competition ends. We rise or we fall together. We are either all sinners of the worst sort or we are made equally special, but only by God's love in Christ. And we cannot earn it. We cannot achieve it, nor can we pay for it. At our best, we celebrate this grace, the grace of all that we have been given. And out of love for God and one another, we are willing to share it with our neighbors. But most days, we suffer from the self-limitation of our competitive and ever-comparing spirits, judging ourselves against others or against yesterday. Or, as often in this part of the world, where so many of our needs are both met and exceeded, we compare ourselves against the yardstick of so-called self-improvement. We are hardwired, aren't we, to believe ourselves to be special, to curry God's extra favor, as though infinite and self-giving love from the creator of all worlds was not enough. At times, we risk rejecting that grace and grasping something far less for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters than God wants for all of us. But the good news is that we are often given grace despite ourselves, like Naaman, who at the insistence of no one greater than his own servants goes down to the river to bathe and is healed or the disciples who take so little into the villages and towns as to accomplish nothing, and yet come away with a profound sense of how God is working through the gospel they have shared, a gospel that, in a remarkable way, accomplishes everything by restoring life with God and casting out the powers of darkness. Each week, as a community in Christ, we live into this gospel by setting all of our self-centered striving aside, at least for a moment, when we gather before the altar and take the bread and wine side by side with our sisters and brothers, poor, rich, old, young, passionate, indifferent, sad, angry, happy, afraid, joyous, good, and bad. We are no more deserving than they are, and yet we are no less worthy because of what God has already offered in the way of grace in our lives and in the lives of countless others. This is one of our primary spiritual practices, and one where we beg for God's transformation to set aside our notions and craving to be special to live instead into the abundant love for us that comes from before time and that stands ever like a blazing light to shine into our broken and wayward hearts. If only we will let it. Amen.